Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the last day of March 2017. There's only three more of these left of the daily ones, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Yep, there's this one, there's tomorrow's, and then there's Sunday, and then I'm going to take uh, a couple of days to produce for April 6th. So April's 3, 4, and 5. You're going to have to deal with not hearing a Sully Baseball podcast for three days. But in three days, I will... Oh, God, I can't even say it. It's so sacrilegious. Even even me, who's not religious at all, I can't make that joke just out of the possibility that I'm wrong. And I get to the pearly gates, and they're going, yeah, yeah, we, we heard that. We listened to all the podcasts. Um, you're not getting in. You're not getting in. Here's your pitchfork. You were wrong. Well, I hope you put a good word for me, Ray. Um... But you have three days without it, and then I'm going to have a podcast on the 6th, the 13th, the 20th, and the 27th of April, and uh, keep going through. We're going to see how it goes. It's an exciting time. Um, I, I, I got a, a bunch of people tweeting at me, bunch of people tweeting at your pal Sully, and one of the things that, that was tweeted at your pal Sully was the fact that there was an article written uh, in, in the ESPN and the article was by um, Sam Miller and talking about uh, the role that Andrew Miller, no relation I'm assuming, is going to be playing uh, with the Cleveland Indians and how that he is probably the best, you know, the best reliever on the team, but they're not going to use him to close the games out. They're using him to shut the games at emergency midway through. Very smart way of using him. Terry Francona used him that way primarily in the postseason. He did get one save in the postseason, but primarily he was used in that method and wound up being the ALCS most valuable player. But the thing is the, the headline says, How Indians reliever Andrew Miller will end the tyranny of the save. And that phrase is used in the body of the article. And I got a bunch of people saying, hey, wait a minute here. Friend of the podcast, Kenny Mack, was like, wait a minute here. And uh, I saw it, my eyebrows arched. And look it. Um, I don't know Mr. Miller. Uh, I know that a couple of people at ESPN do listen to the podcast. But a bunch of people were like, well, they tweeted at me. So wait a minute, they, they stole your thing. Even my mother was like, they stole your thing. And there are three possibilities here. I'm just going to say this right now. There are three possibilities here. Possibility one is Miller listens to the podcast and he stole it. Now it's on ESPN. If I say it, they say, oh, you stole it from Miller on ESPN. Okay? Do I think that happened? Probably not. Now, there's another possibility. I may have heard someone say it, and I forgot that I heard someone say it. And I've just been saying it as my own. That, that happens. Hell, I do, I've do. i done 1,600 of these. 
I very well could have heard someone say that and not realize or remember that I heard someone say that. That's a distinct possibility. What's the most likely possibility? The most likely possibility is parallel thinking. He thought of something, I thought of something. I didn't, haven't come up with the idea of the tyranny of the blank. I remember my friend um, Susanna Kegel used to be very critical of like people who are deadheads or fish listeners. You know, they were basically, she said that they were as closed-minded and, and would not accept anyone who doesn't think and act exactly the way they do. And she called it the tyranny of the mellow. I thought that was great. And I think I borrowed the tyranny of the blank, the save, to talk about this. But that's probably what happened. You know, I saw that a lot when I did stand-up comedy, that people think there's, there's something that happens and a, a multiple people come up with the same joke, the same line, the same observation. And, you know, I mean, I used to start, when I used to host, uh, Christ, it was 20 years ago. Sorry, Ray. Um, it was 20 years ago I used to be the host of the uh, open mic at the Gotham Comedy Club in New York City. And I would start the show saying, I'd start rattling off all these jokes that I've heard a billion times. And that when you start stand-up comedy, you think you're the first person to have thought of it. And I said, but, you know, we all made the observation that, you know, the, the red-shirted ensigns in Star Trek get killed. That, you know, that uh, if the professor could make a radio out of coconuts... Why couldn't he rebuild the boat on Gilligan's Island? You know, they, everyone made those jokes. Everyone made those observations. So it's not exactly, you know, groundbreaking. And so maybe this isn't exactly groundbreaking. Maybe two people who think and eat and consume baseball. I don't read Miller's columns. He may have been saying it for years, for all I know. So I, it's parallel thinking. You know, it's not always theft. But here's the deal with your pal Sully. If it was theft, if he was a fan of the podcast and swiped it, eh, that'd be pretty cool, too. I mean, I wouldn't be outraged. I'm still going to say the tyranny of the safe, and I'm not going to attribute it to him. Part of me is like, hey, that's cool. Someone's willing to steal from me. No one steals from someone who's shitty at their job. Now, I was pissed that I made a video back in 2011 where I talked about the Orioles' hats and how the Orioles went back to the smiling bird hat and that they didn't win when they went to the ornithologically correct hat. But if they go back to the smiling bird hat, their winning ways will show up. And almost word for word, that joke set up everything was done on TBS. And to this day, I think someone saw my video and swiped it. That pissed me off. That pissed me off big time. But, you know what, Sully? Time to go. Do you want that happened? Do you want I got pissed off? That moment when I got pissed off saying, wow, someone, I'm guarantee you someone stole my thing was before the beginning of the 2012 postseason. I was a little pissed about it. 
And I took that pissed energy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast. And I started one just a couple of weeks after that happened. And I'm still doing it right now. I haven't missed a day since. That's taking my energy and moving it towards something positive. Hey, um, an interesting thing happened. Uh, Blake uh, Trainin, I think I'm pronouncing his name correct. Blake Trainin is a pitcher for the Washington Nationals. Um, he was a, a he came up as a starter. He's 29 years old. He's been a reliever the last couple of years, and has had a good year last year. Uh, had an effective year in 2015, but had a good year last year. Um, pitched to a 2.28 ERA. Uh, struck out 63 and 67 innings, walked 31. You know, he had it was he was an effective reliever. Was he a lights out reliever? No, but he was an effective reliever. And he has one career save. Talk about the tyranny of the save. He has one career save, which by the way is one more than Mike Montgomery had in his entire career as a major leaguer and a minor leaguer before he saved Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. I digress. Uh, it was announced today that Trainin was going to be the closer for the Washington Nationals. And, I, first of all, I love this decision. I love it. Because, you know, the, the closer position oftentimes is malleable. A point I've made on this podcast many, many times, I'll continue to make it, the, the importance of the closer who is has the experience of saving lots of games and blah, 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 blah. This decade, this decade, we have had one instance of a team that broke camp with a closer this is who our closer is, having that closer be the closer at the end of the World Series for the World Champions. Brian Wilson was the Giants' closer when they broke camp in 2010. And every year since then, there was a change in who was the closer, and whether it was by injury or ineffectiveness, so that by the time the World Series rolled around, the person who was closing out the game was not the person who was the closer at the beginning of the year. Now, the one thing that you can say as a caveat is that Sergio Romo and Santiago Casilla flip-flopped. Casilla began... Well, actually, no, no that's not true. Or... or um, uh, uh, you know what? I'm I'm losing track of it a little bit, but let's let's I mean I'm, let's go over it. That that the injuries to the Cardinals in 2011 forced Jason Mott to be the closer. Uh, in 2012, the Giants started with Brian Wilson as the closer. He got hurt. It went to Sergio Romo. Uh, the Red Sox tried out everyone, including me, for two games in 2013. Before around June, realizing they had Koji Uehara who had just a handful of saves before he became the most dominant closer in baseball for two-thirds of a season. Uh, 2014, uh, Giants began the season with Romo as the closer and handed the reins over to Santiago Casilla. 
and it was actually Bumgarner who got the save in the final game of the World Series. 2015, Holland was the closer for the Royals. He got hurt. Wade Davis became the closer in the postseason. And the Cubs began the season with Rondon as the closer and handed it over to that asshole, Aroldis Chapman. And in the end, it was Mike Montgomery who got the final save. So breaking camp with here's our closer is kind of a formality. But I like that they're giving it to training because he earned the job in spring training. And they're not looking at, oh, my God, how many saves does he have? Well, we got to give it to someone with the experience of piling the saves up. So, no, this is the guy who we're going to put out there. And maybe people are realizing, based on how the bullpens of certainly the last two world champions, the Royals and the Cubs, that still sounds strange to say the Cubs as world champions, and also the way the Indians' bullpen was set up, is showing that the depth of the bullpen has become as important as anything else. One thing, though, and this is once again something that fascinates your pal Sully. I am always going to, even though I have railed against the idea of the tyranny of the save, and for those of you who don't know what the tyranny of the save is, at least from my personal definition, is twofold. The idea that you have to have one person coming out to throw the ninth inning no matter what. If it's a close game or the save situation is three runs or, or fewer lead, which I think is ridiculous. A three-run lead shouldn't be a save. But um, that you have to bring the same person out every time because, oh, that's our closer, that's their job, instead of bringing out the pitcher who is the best for that particular situation. You know, some people just can't close the game. Well, you know what? Sometimes you get saves because you're on the mound and you just happen to pile up. So there's that element, that not taking into account who's coming up, what the splits are, or anything like that. You just go to the same guy all the time in close games because, oh, they're piling saves and that's their job. But on the other hand, if you have a dominant reliever that you do what happened with Buck Showalter in the playoffs last year, that you only use him in a save situation, that's another part of the mentality that I have no patience for. That you only use them in the ninth. You only use them to clinch a game out. Well, that's bonkers, too. Because sometimes the game's on the line in the seventh. Sometimes the game's on the line in the eighth. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I've always, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in use the best pitchers you can in the right situation. And don't worry about the saves. Saves will come out the way that they, they, you know, before people were worried about saves, you saw relievers coming in all over creation in a game. And you saw postseasons where multiple pitchers would get saves because they weren't thinking about, oh, you got to get 30, 40 saves a year. I mean, I believe it was the 1973 World Series. I think it was five different pitchers recorded saves. In the 1988 postseason, Jay Howell, Brian Holden, Alejandro Pena, and Oral Hershiser all recorded saves for the Dodgers in the same postseason. So I'm a big believer in use the relievers for the times that the game is on the line. Sometimes it's on the line in the fifth or sixth. Sometimes on the line in the seventh or eighth. It's not always on the line in the ninth. 
But with that being said, anyone who knows me, and I know I do, I'm fascinated by closing out the game. I'm fascinated by the closer. I'm fascinated by the person who gets the final out. Because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy getting the final out. I thought that was a, a badass position. But, you know, an interesting thing about Washington, the city of Washington, and one reason why I'm specifically bringing up Mr. Trainin of the Nationals, who's getting a chance to be the closer, getting a chance to pile up the saves, and maybe, just maybe, they stumbled across a good, talented pitcher who becomes an effective reliever, and the Nationals are a team that, you know, I have some trepidation of picking them. I'm going to make my, the, in the final Sully Baseball Daily podcast, I'm going to be picking, making my predictions, and I'm still going back and forth between the Mets and the Nationals. I'm leaning towards the Mets right now. Um, there's something about this Nationals team that I'm, I'm feeling a little trepidation about uh, as someone want, as wanted to pick them. Um, but they're certainly a team that can contend. And if the Nationals do wind up going to the postseason and advancing, something they have not done since arriving in Washington, uh, it wouldn't stun me. But here's something. I am now going to list all the pitchers who ever pitched for a Washington franchise, whether it was the original Senators, the expansion Senators, or the Nationals, from 1901 to right now, January, or not January, Jesus, uh, March 31st, 2017. I am now going to list all the pitchers who threw a pitch that clinched a postseason series for a Washington team. And that's the end of the list. It's never happened. It's happened in Miami several times. It's happened in Tampa. It's happened in Colorado. It's happened in Arizona. It's never once ever happened in Washington. There has never been an instance where a pitcher for a Washington team threw a pitch and the series was over, a postseason series was over, and the pitcher, you know, arms up in the air and celebrating. Has yet to happen. The city of Washington has won one postseason series ever. Ever. And that was the 1924 World Series, which was won on a walk-off hit in the bottom of the, I think it was the 10th or the 11th, uh, of Game 7 of that World Series. So that was a walk-off win. Now, of course, there was Mr. Storin, had a lead in the fifth game of the division series in 2012, which if the Nationals won that game, I think they probably, I don't know, maybe they would have lost to the Giants. I don't know. It would have been a good series. But the Cardinals rallied. And then last year, of course, the, the Dodgers beat them by bringing Clayton Kershaw out of the bullpen. They have not won a playoff series despite, in two, despite having home field advantage in every postseason series that the Nationals have played. They lost an 18-inning game at home, which they had the lead in the ninth. They lost a game where Matt Williams was bringing out all the wrong pitchers 
because, as he said, he's, he's saving his pitchers for the eighth and ninth. Well, congratulations, they never got to pitch. And then last year, inexplicably taking Scherzer out and letting the Dodgers rally. Well, if training can be the closer for the year and the Nationals get to the postseason, hell, get to the wild card game and win that, then you'll see something this year that has never happened. And that is a Washington, D.C. team having a pitcher with their arms up in the air saying, we won, and having a celebration begin. And do you know what? I'm a big fan of seeing something happen for the first time. I'm a big fan of saying, hey, do you want that happened before? Never. I think that's cool when that happens. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, and it's one of the things that's great about baseball, every once in a while you can say, huh, that's never happened before. And if Blake Training can be that guy, good luck, buddy. I kind of want to see that. And don't fall in to the tyranny of the save. My mother, who's so wonderful and, and listens to this podcast, she's listening to me say this right now. Hi, Mom. She said, can you copyright some of these? I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should have T-shirts made. Maybe i got to be more business savvy. If I had a Zazzle site, how many of you would buy a Sully Baseball shirt or sweatshirt or mug or leather mask with a ball gag? I don't know. Whatever you have with Sully Baseball. Would you buy that? Geez, I wonder if they could pay for my kids to go to Cal. That'd be pretty fun, wouldn't it? All right, well, it doesn't matter. Let's just get on with it. Two more to go after this. Sully Baseball, daily podcast, winding down. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Going through the concept of parallel thinking, this has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the final day of March 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I beg you, call me Sully.